Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Angela. Man, I, love, I love singing. I love singing with you all this morning. If you don't know, my name is Micah Siebert. I'm a youth pastor uh, in town at Cornerstone Bible Church. And uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, great, we invited, my dad was a pastor, and I come from a lineage of pastors, and you're thinking, oh, how's this going to work? He's got a mic. This is going to take another hour. I want to tell you, I know you've got breaking bread today, and I don't want to uh, belabor today's message, because frankly, uh, your people have already given it. Angela, that story is amazing. Uh, the stories of what you said, uh, Willard, as you came up and testified what, uh, what, uh, uh, what hospitality looks like. And so I, I want to hit some high points, but I recognize I'm under the gun for time, so I want to summarize it like this. See, if we're going to become a hospitable uh, people, it looks like this, reproducing what we've experienced in the nature and character of God. Because God has welcomed us in, we can now be empowered to welcome others in. There's the message. I'm going to unpack it a little further with some text. If you'd like to turn to Hebrews 12, verse 28, I'll be diving in there in just a minute. But real quick, I'd like to, uh, to pray and ask for help. Uh, Father God, I, I love it that your word is good and that you speak a word of life, and, uh, and it's so good for us. I'm thankful, God, that as I stand up, it's not these words that carry weight, but it's your words that carry weight. I'm glad that it's hearts that are transformed not by the winsomeness of, of how I speak, but uh, by the movement of your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give me guidance today? Would you help me to understand uh, what to say, how to say it, and do a work in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you uh, weren't here last week, I want to give you a very small update. We're in the middle of a, a series uh, called uh, Welcome In, a biblical call to hospitality. And last week, Dan uh, did a great job of showing us this 30,000-foot view of God's redemptive plan for mankind in Jesus is all across the way, checkpoint after checkpoint of demonstrating God welcoming the stranger in. So by the time we get to the message I'm going to give, how do we respond? You know, we've already been saturated with the nature of God as being a hospitable God. I'm going to review this in like 30 seconds, so buckle up. We see it in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. God uh, creates all this good stuff and welcomes Adam and Eve in. And he welcomes them into oh, his abiding presence with abundance of food, all that they can desire. Uh, we see in light of the fall, uh, God goes and takes a stranger uh, named Abraham and welcomes him back into a relationship and fellowship with God. And through him, the people of God swell in captivity in Egypt, and God calls Moses to go get them out, rescue them, and bring them into a land, a place filled with milk and honey, so that they could again have fellowship with God in the place that God has established, feasting on what He has provided, welcoming them in. We carry this forward now to the New Testament. At the Last Supper, that very uh, supper that delivered them from the grip of Egypt, the, the, the Passover supper, Jesus again lays it out right like this before his disciples. And he says, here's a new covenant for you. 
I'm welcoming you in now to an intimate fellowship in a new way, a new covenant, and it's through my blood. At the table, Jesus welcomes them in. And we know how it all ends in Revelation. The culmination of God's redemptive plan is a feast spread out where all the people of God are gathered, and there is no end uh, to the vats of beverage. There is no end uh, to the feasting as we dine with God himself and our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the picture uh, that Dan painted last week. And in the future weeks, if you continue to come, uh, either at Cornerstone or here, uh, you'll continue to hear how he packs, unpacks the nitty-gritty. How do we do this? What gets in the way? And how do we live this out here in the church and in our community? Uh, but for today, I want to I share how do you rightly respond to the invitation that you've received. I don't know about you guys, uh, how you respond when you're given a gift, uh, but I, let me paint a scene for you. The year was 1988, and uh, there was this shag, brown and like green. I don't know why you would ever put those two together on a carpet, but this shag carpet at my grandfather's house, Grandpa Mellon, were gathered around this rickety old fake Christmas tree in the 80s. They didn't do a good job reproducing those things. And, uh, and we're gathered around kind of like we're killing a little bit disappointed. And what Grandpa and Grandma gave us for gifts. We're a little bit thinking like we've been slighted this year. But then it happens. Grandma Faye comes walking into the room under the weight of five identically wrapped boxes. And divvies them out to the Siebert family and the Schneider family and the, uh, the, the other Schneider family. There's two boys in the family, okay? Uh, and all of us kids gather around and we shred open these boxes and we scream with delight because... The Nintendo was ours. You know what I'm talking about? Kids of the 80s and 90s, the Nintendo, the original. You guys don't even know, dude. Xbox One, my, come on. All right. The original 16-bit enter, Nintendo Entertainment System. Let me tell you how we received that gift. We screamed with delight. Some of us cried. Maybe it was me. And we, we, we adored the person who gave us the gift, and we exclaimed to everyone around us when we got back to school how awesome the gift is. Friends, if we want to extend hospitality, the invitation of God to other people in our lives, we must first encounter the invitation of God personally and then respond in the right way with hearts that reproduce what we've experienced in the lives of those around us. That's the heartbeat of hospitality. Well, we're going to get to today's text. If you're there already, Hebrews 12, we're going to pick up in verse 28, and we're going to take it through 13.3. I know you Bible people who get this stuff, you should never do this, but we're going to do that. Imagine the author himself writing this, and the big number 13 isn't on your page. I want you to follow with me through the, the hinge that this little passage is between two major concepts. It goes like this, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though you are in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you're also in the body See, the flow of that thought is one of responsive worship being the acceptable thing to do when you've encountered 
God, but for your sake, I want to do you a favor. Uh, This is hardly fair to do this, but the first dozen chapters of this book, the author of Hebrews has just been unpacking the deep, timeless, prophetic sort of answers in Jesus Christ and his absolute supremacy. And so by the time we get to how we're going to live this out, how we're going to respond, we need to pay attention to what the author's already said. And unfortunately, we don't want to be here the next seven hours, so I'm going to give it to you in cliff notes. I hope you're ready. In chapter 1, he says uh, that Jesus, in the times past, God spoke to Adam. God spoke to Noah. After that, there was prophets. But today, there was a voice of Jesus himself, God himself, among the people. He's a voice of truth. Jesus was the better provider of rest than even Moses could be for the people of God. He said that Jesus was the better priest and a mediator of a better covenant than Melchizedek could ever offer between God and man. And he was a better sacrifice than any bull, than any lamb. Jesus was a sacrifice who could fully and finally atone, pay for, in full, the sin of humanity. And as we get to living this out in our lives, he had just spent most of 12 helping us to see how Jesus is the author and perfecter now of our faith. We look to him. We look to him. So he's supreme in all things. He's done everything that we need to be welcomed in, and he's demonstrated how to do that. That's the context for today. Therefore now, therefore in light of the supremacy of Christ, therefore in light of what he's done, therefore in light of how he showed us how to live, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The attitude, how do we receive what God's offered? gratitude, with with gratitude, but with with an awareness of reverence and awe. The the picture of these words, reverence and awe, if if you've been around the church much, imagine Isaiah when he has this vision and he goes before the Lord and he's suddenly aware, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. Reverence and awe. Yes, I'm welcomed in, but I'm totally aware I do not belong. See, God is a consuming fire, and for some crazy reason, because of what Christ has done, the flames of his glory do not lick and consume me because of what Christ has done. So in reverence and awe, I respond and I receive, and I offer now what it says here, acceptable worship. See, worship is the response to what we've experienced, but God has designed that worship to look a certain way. He wishes for it to be acceptable. So when we get to chapter 13, we've got to pay attention. When he starts telling us how to live this thing out, that's the acceptable thing. We don't just respond how we wish to respond. Oh, God, that was awesome. I'm going to go do whatever I want, right? The response of worship falls in line with how he's prescribed it, which we're going to get to. He calls us to respond to what we've received with hospitality. We worship because of what he's done. It's like the image is this, that is that worship is sometimes translated, I'm not sure, I've read it out of ESV, but uh, I'm not sure what your version is, but sometimes they translate that word worship as serve, as to serve. And, and so it's like this image of, of God's welcomed us into his table, and as we have dined and sat and feasted on the abundance of our Lord, receiving what we needed most out of the supply that he offers, we now become worshipers who serve. We now stand up and we wait the table for those who are outside in the fellowship of God. We welcome them in now as our worship is to reproduce hospitality. 
worship is a response to what God's done. I'll take a quick moment here and just show you a piece of my story to let you into my world. Um, so I grew up in this community, uh, grew up in the church. Dad was a pastor. I went away to college and got married. And, and uh, about a few days after I graduated from college, I found out my wife had been cheating on me for the last year of the two years that we were married. And over the course of the next handful of months, it was discovered that uh, time after time after time, five times, I found out she was continuing to have this affair, and I was broken. I coped with it with alcohol. I coped with it with pornography. I coped with it uh, with tobacco. And I became addicted to things that would not ultimately satisfy me. And what ended up happening is I came home to Mountain Lake broken and a mess, but something crazy happened. A man named Ken Kramer welcomed me into his home. He began to speak over me the truth that uh, who I was in Christ that I did not feel was true. I felt ashamed. I came back to Mountain Lake. We know it's pretty religious. I felt like a failure. I felt like I was the, the ink blot of stain on the otherwise perfect tapestry of my family's marital lineage. And it was in this moment that I realized that I had nothing to offer God. See, before that, I, I, I really kind of thought, God had it pretty good with me on his team. You know what I'm talking about, right? He's got it good. He's got me, right? Suddenly I realized very acutely I had nothing to bring to this equation. On the one hand is my brokenness and my sinfulness. On the other hand is God's crazy grace welcoming me back. I remember the place in this room. Again, it doesn't get much more embarrassing than this. I'm a 23-year-old living in the room I had as a 13-year-old. Michael Jordan's still on the wall, right? Tiny room. The bed's here. The wall's here. And I lay out on the floor. And I say, Jesus, I've got nothing to offer you. I've got nothing to offer you. And he said, perfect, because I'm all you need. Friends, if we don't realize if we don't realize that the, the imperatives of Scripture that call us to live this thing out, if we don't recognize that it's a response out of what we've experienced, we'll go try to reproduce it in our own strength, thinking that God's got it good with us on His team. It says, do this, do this, be this, go do this, and we just go and do it. But here's the good news. We've received a kingdom that can't be shaken, which means as we respond in worship, uh, we might respond, you know, at times in failure, but the thing that we need most is, is never going to fail us because the kingdom can't be shaken. That means as we try to reproduce this, we've got to stay tethered to that which is eternal, which is the love and the provision of God. So why am I spending so much time on this? I think it's so important because you cannot respond in worship to that which you haven't yet received. Right? I can't scream for the Nintendo I've never got. And you can't reproduce what you've never experienced. This is so important. And it follows the biblical storyline. If you've heard sermons or been in the Word much, you know this theme carries throughout the Scriptures, right? Why do we love First John 4, right? We love because He first loved us, right? In fact, it says in, in 1 John 4, 9, anyone who doesn't know, who doesn't love, clearly doesn't know God because God is love. Follow this with me. If you've experienced love, you can reproduce love. If you haven't experienced love, you're not going to reproduce love. Same is true for forgiveness. We see in Matthew 18 this story of a, of, of a slave who's been forgiven, experienced the mercy of God, and the expectation is that he offer it in return. To not offer it in return is to not have received it at all. 
the flow is this. What you receive from God out of his nature and character, you reproduce for the benefit of others in the power that you that he supplies for you. Okay? So that's kind of the picture. So what about hospitality? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a quick time out, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy 10. You might want to go there because this is so critical to understanding God's heart for the stranger. The whole story I told was to help understand we have to come to the terms that we are the stranger. We were the ones welcomed in. And he goes and unpacks this for us. And, and let me set the stage for Deuteronomy 10. You can go to verse 12. Uh, the stage is this. God's given the Ten Commandments. Moses sees the people in their, in their sinful brokenness and idolatry. He shatters them, and God gives it to them again. So here you have now people who've been reprimanded. They've experienced loss of some of them in their own family members because of the punishment of God, and now they're getting a do-over. They're getting the commandments again, and and here is what uh, uh, Moses instructs the people of God. This is uh, Deuteronomy 10, 12. Uh, it's a little bit of a chunk, but it's so helpful. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him and serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens, earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and he chose their offspring after them. You, above all people, as you are this day, so circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and do not be, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Pay attention to this here. 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. By his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God, keep his charge, and keep his statutes, his rules and commandments always. I know that's long, but I want you to feel the weight of this. Three questions from this text. Why hospitality? Twofold, God loves the strangers. He loves those who are outside of fellowship with him. And secondly, and more importantly in this case, you were the stranger. Especially us sitting here in Mountain Lake. Gentile. We were outside of the outside. As strangers welcomed him. Why? Because God loves the stranger. And he welcomed you when you were a stranger. Second, is this optional? <laughs> no, it's a command. It's the, it's the response to having received God's heartbeat is to be obedient in his power and in his authority. And why? Well, verse 13, it's good for us. God's ways and his commands are good for us. Second, it's proper stewardship of what he's provided so you can partner with him in, in, in accomplishing his goal. And third, the question, is it easy? No. This is interesting language here in verse 16. 
Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For those of you uh, who didn't grow up in the church, that was my make you giggle. But for those of you who did, you know. You know. That was the sign of the covenant. The people of God were set apart, and this was the marking. This was the promise. But he changes the language. He changes the body part. Because he recognizes what keeps us from walking in obedience is in encountering God, we, we still often respond with hard hearts. We need the flesh of our heart, the brokenness and deceit, the places where sin is still gripping and not letting go to be cut away so that we can encounter in full who this God is and then reproduce it. See, in the New Testament, the sign of the covenant isn't uh, circumcision any longer. The sign of the covenant is the Holy Spirit. And this is such good news. Because when we try to reproduce something that we have no business doing, you can ask me and my wife. We are not hospitable people by nature. I promise you that. But when you need to uh, reproduce what you've experienced in God, the truth is it's the new covenant is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And He is your helper. And He will take the nature and character of God and He will reproduce it in you so you can walk in obedience to God. So He's not, he's not setting you up to fail. He's setting you up to need Him which only increases your worship. All right, so we uh, we need to keep moving here. Uh, let's go back to Hebrews, and I, I want to unpack very quickly what this looks like. Uh, there's some fun things here. Uh, there's a slide that gives this to you in Greek. I'm going to read the passage as uh, Lynette gets that up. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What is he talking about? Uh, let's get into the second part in a minute, but I want to show you something. I'm not much of a scholar, and if you looked at my face, you'd know that right away, and maybe my outfit. But I want to tell you, this is so cool. Uh, does anybody know the city of brotherly love? What's that, what's that called? Philadelphia. I'm sure you guys have, you know what's going on here. Uh, but that first verse, let brotherly love continue. That's the word Philadelphia. Let brotherly love continue. Uh, Philadelphia, let the love that you've experienced from God continue in your fellowship with your brothers and sisters, with those who are in your family, who are like you. But then it goes into the second verse, and it says, Philozenia, uh, pretend I can say that. Uh, does anybody here know what xenophobia is? It's the fear of those who are different. It's the fear of the stranger, right? So now you've got not xenophobia, you've got philozenia. You've got brotherly love, and you've got that which is different, the stranger. So what he's saying in verse 1 is, let the love that you have from God for your family continue so that you can have the love of God for your family, that same love now, not for your brother, but for your stranger, for the one who's not like you, for the one that's different, for the one you might be uh, averse to, naturally inclined to turn from. His love of God flows through us to allow us to do the impossible and welcome the stranger, reproduce the love of God in our lives. And, and then, quite possibly the most interesting piece of this all, the author says, when you do this, remember, remember, some people have exercised hospitality and entertained angels. This is interesting. This is a throwback to Genesis 18. Let me paint the scene for you. It's a hot midday. Abraham's chilling out with some water with his wife in his tent and onto his property. He meanders three uh, strangers. And what he does is immediately rushes out to these strangers, and he, he exercises hospitality. He says, he says here, uh, here's some water. Wash your feet. Have a drink. Here's some shade. Rest under this tree. 
hang on, I'm going to have my wife make me some food. He exercises hospitality. As the story unfolds, you find it's not just three angels, it's two angels and a, a person in the flesh who is God himself. And when Abraham returns and makes the offering of these morsels of bread uh, for these strangers, they reveal to him the plan. We are here having received your hospitality, and we want to tell you something. There's a promise coming for you. Isaac will be born one year from this time. Secondly, as they walk him away, he says, in that city down there, Sodom is going to be destroyed. By exercising hospitality, Abraham stepped into the fulfillment of the promise that he would be a man through whom all the nations would be blessed, and he was also received the warning that saved his nephew, Lot. Friends, when you exercise hospitality, the picture isn't just that you get blessing and you receive the warnings you need to live your life. It's also that you entertain God himself. It reminds me of what Jesus says in in Matthew 25. Let me set the scene again. He's teaching, and he's like, this is what the end time is going to be like when I come in my glory and I judge, and I'm going to put this dividing line, kind of like this aisle right here. And, and as, a, as a shepherd divides sheep and goats, I'm going to take some and put goats here and, and sheep here, and, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, you can come and enter my glory. You who, when I was hungry, you brought me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me, and when I was in prison, you came to me. Those seem like such small things, but those are the markers of hospitality. The tell signs that someone is reproducing the character of God in their life. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Friends, why hospitality? Why hospitality? Because it, it reproduces what we've experienced because we've been welcomed into a place we don't deserve. And when we do it, it's not just a picture, a lens through which others will see what the nature and character of our God are like, which will draw them to Him. It's also because in our serving, we serve Christ Himself. Wow. That's awesome. That, that means that there's no menial service you do when you entertain, when you love well. Let's see these three young guys right here. I can't imagine how many times you've been invited into these homes of these people beside you and people in this home. I bet that felt good. I bet it felt good to be welcomed. That's what this is, right? It's not little. It's sacred. It's sacred. It's as sacred as this table here. It's serving Christ himself. What a high and wonderful calling that he empowers us to do. And finally, the text wraps up with, remember those in prison. Friends, here's, here's the flow of thought. Take the brotherly love, the love of God, and exercise uh, the love of God and, 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 and with those who are close to you and like you. Exercise those who are different than you and not like you. And then take it as it were a picnic basket and lay out the invitation of God to people who can't RSVP to your invitation. There's no end to the place of hospitality because uh, there's no end to the supply of God to give you what you need to demonstrate hospitality to other people because he never cuts you off from his hospitality. You've all been there, right? When you're like 30 minutes after you wanted someone to leave and you, you kind of stand up and they don't, they don't leave. And God never does that to you. You're always welcome in. In the same way that he shows consistent and constant love to us, we are always have the love of God available to us to offer other people. That's so good because it means it's not up to me to produce it in my own strength, but I can reproduce what I've experienced in here. Finally, I want to take us to what Jesus did. 
because all of this is possible because of Jesus. If you're in Hebrews 13, slide on down to verse 12, and I, I want you to see and feel the weight of what we're dealing with here. It said, Jesus also suffered outside of the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. Let us bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such a sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord. You see the picture. Our God is a consuming fire. Again, think in terms of Old Testament, how to get right with God is through a sacrifice. The picture is this. As the, as the animal is flayed open and the organs that are necessary for fulfilling uh, the, the covenant to worship God and, and to atone for sin is done, what's left is disgusting, defiled uh, uh, remains. And they get carried and transferred outside of the gate so that that which is inside can remain holy. And, and this is the picture of our Christ. So that you and I could be welcomed in and be receive the hospitality of God. People are the ultimate opposite of hospitality. When we were welcomed in because he got taken out. But here's the invitation. Let us go out there with him and bear the reproach. Friends, there's a cost to our redemption and it was Christ. So we can receive what we don't deserve, but what we need most, that's salvation through Jesus. When we live lives that we produce this hospitality, it may cost us. And if I had time, I'd go through the rest of Hebrews 13 with you where he says, your sexuality, your singleness or marriage, Steward that for him. Your money. Don't give yourself over to make money. Use your money for him. Live hospitable. It's going to cost you there too. Follow leaders who are good at demonstration of Christ. Follow them. Give yourself up. Avail all that you have for all that he is so his kingdom can move forward. Because you've received an unshakable kingdom. So it's eternal only now, but it's also not yet. I don't know if you caught that in that passage. It says, uh, for here we have no lasting city. Seek the city to come. In other words, there's a kingdom. We have it now through Jesus Christ, but in fulfillment, we don't have it yet. But spend yourself now like you do. It's coming. Our hope is eternal. It's promised. Live for the eternal kingdom. So why be hospitable? Because God wants us to enjoy Him and worship with Him in the appropriate way of responding with what we've experienced by reproducing it in the lives of other people. Let's close by examining our original definition. Hospitality is the critical and consistent act of welcoming strangers to become family by offering what is most needed out of that which God has given us. Didn't we see that here today? Hospitality, showing brotherly love to strangers is critical because the church is the lens through which the onlooking world will see Christ. So reproduce the nature of God and they will come and they will receive Second, hospitality is consistent because the storehouses of God's love are never ending and the supply chain of the Spirit is in working condition so you can spend yourself and never run dry as you say yes to the things that Jesus puts in front of you. That's such good news. We can abide in Christ and say yes to all the good things He's prepared in advance for us to walk into. Hospitality, finally, is out of that which God has given to us. 
That means if it doesn't ever run dry, I can spend myself, my life, my career, my finances, and my relationships. I can steward all for the advancement of his kingdom because that kingdom is unshakable. That promise is good. Where do we go from here? I can tell you this. If you feel like you are on the outside of God's hospitality, people around you maybe feel like they're sitting at a table without you, then receive his invitation. Trust that it's not by your reproducing the good works that we read about in the Bible. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who gets you a seat at this table. Receive the invitation by saying, I trust you, Jesus, alone. Have faith. Second, receive the invitation first. Second, reproduce what you've encountered in God in your community and the lives around you. Jesus, you're better than we deserve. You're better than we deserve. <laughs> you get an unshakable kingdom. You got nothing to offer, and yet here we are, full recipients of your grace, full recipients of your mercy, full recipients of the Holy Spirit that helps us to, to do all that you've asked of us so that it can be worship unto you, a fragrant offering to you, this God who is this consuming fire. We can lay down our all for your glory and for our benefit. Thank you. In Jesus' name.